six hours, one Friday. This was the title of a book written by Max Lucado. If you've never had the chance to get that and read it, I would suggest you would. It wouldn't take very long. It is a chronicle of the cross, six hours, one Friday. I borrowed that title tonight for our brief message on Good Friday. Mark chapter 15, verse 25. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. They that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priest mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself he cannot. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. They that were crucified with him reviled him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink saying, let alone let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Six hours, one Friday. I've told you before that the days for the Jewish people in Bible times began at sundown. And are classed as evening and morning rather than day and night as we so often do. If you want to see an example of that, you can read Genesis chapter 1 and you'll see it again and again. Evening and morning, evening and morning, evening and morning. That's because their day began at sundown and ended at sundown the next day. On then that Friday evening, evening and morning. Our Thursday night, Jesus would observe the Passover for the last time with his disciples. He had no doubt observed it all of his life. Every year, he had observed it at least three times. Then with his disciples, this was the last time. We saw last night that wonderful portrayal of the living Last Supper. After that was finished, would come a trip out of Jerusalem... And on to Gethsemane, where Jesus would give them some vital information. Even on that last night, he was still teaching, still discipling. To the very end, taking every moment that he could 
to prepare them for what was to come and to give us the truth that is so vital to us. After teaching them for a while and praying for them, the John 17 record, the Lord's Prayer, uh, His high priestly prayer, when He prayed for them and He prayed for us. Then He took Peter, James, and John aside. Asked them to pray for Him. Pray with me. And he began to pray himself. By then it was past midnight, no doubt, wee hours of the morning. We could be sympathetic to Peter, James, and John because they tried to pray and they dozed off. Maybe we've had that experience a time or two where we prayed and start, went to bed praying and woke up the next morning and had to say amen. We know what that's like. The agony of Jesus' prayers showed up in a somewhat unique way. Luke chapter 22 and verse 44 says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Medically, in modern medicine, we refer to this as hematidrosis. It's known more commonly by the phenomenon of bloody sweat. You can look it up and read more about it if you like. It occurs in terrible times of stress. When the capillaries of a person's skin, will those tiny, tiny capillaries will begin to rupture and actually begin to allow blood then to seep into the sweat glands so that it produces that phenomenon known as bloody sweat. The agony in the garden is beyond our ability to understand. We know what Jesus was praying. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Perhaps no better place in Scripture to see both the humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ, the one who was fully man and fully God, put on such display. So that in his humanity, he could pray, let this cup pass. In his deity, he could pray, not my will, but thine. We have really no idea to tell how late it was, other than it was, it was late or early. We know somewhere along about that time, Jesus would say to his disciples, well, they're here. Sure enough, Judas showed up with the temple guards. And they began the task of arresting Jesus. They had intended to do this several times before. The temple guards had been sent out on one occasion to arrest Jesus. They were arrested by Jesus. They came back empty-handed and they asked him, I sent you, the high priest, I sent you to arrest Jesus. Why didn't you do it? And the soldier said, never man spoke like this man. 
They couldn't arrest him. They were too busy listening to him. But not on this night. Other times they restrained themselves out of fear for the crowds that thronged him. Whenever he was in Jerusalem, the thousands, especially at this high and holy time, they'd seen it all week long as Jesus was surrounded by the crowds that filled the temple, hanging on his every word. It was all carefully planned, you see. Go out in the wee hours of the morning. Come upon them. They had Judas to guide them. He knew where they stayed. No hotels. Son of man had not a place to lay his head. No hotel. They slept outside. But he didn't find them sleeping, except for the disciples, of course. He found Jesus praying, ready to meet them. Away from all the massive crowds, near the Garden of Gethsemane, There in the darkness, the soldiers could see the unmistakable embrace of Judas Iscariot and the kiss of betrayal that he put upon his cheek. If it was a cloudless night, the full moon was shining. Remember, Passover always, our Easter always happens on the full moon. Always. So it would have been illuminated that night they could easily see exactly who their target was. Arrest Jesus at night. Bring him before Caiaphas. Perhaps even stir things up enough to where he might be killed in the night. It had happened before. It would happen again. Just a few years later, uh, Stephen would have an encounter He didn't walk away because he was stoned to death. The crowd just grabbed him up, stoned him. Almost happened to Paul. It was not uncommon for people to be arrested and appear before Caiaphas, the high priest, and never be heard from again. But this one was different for whatever reason, and I don't know why. Carefully planned out, carefully plotted. They had determined that they would have him appear first before Caiaphas. He did, then before the whole Sanhedrin council at daylight. I mean, literally, just moments after the rooster had crowed. Just an astronomical morning. Just barely daylight. And then they sent him to Pilate. No doubt, uh, you know, I just wonder. I I don't know how. I don't know how they managed to get Pilate to convene court at such an early hour. Two words, well planned. What they hadn't planned on, though, was Pilate's wife having a dream. And of all things, that dream being about Jesus of Nazareth. So that she would seek him out and say, have nothing to do with this just man. I've suffered many things in the night from a dream. Now, Pilate wasn't a believer, far from it. But in his raising and his upbringing as a Roman, as 
and their pagan religions, they gave a lot of credibility to dreams. There was something in the tone of his wife's voice, something there that told him this was real, something serious was happening. He didn't realize then that Pilate would not agree to a quick execution. I truly believe the Jews planned to have Jesus on the cross and perhaps dead by the time the throngs of pilgrims woke up. The pilot drug his feet. Because of this dream that his wife had had, he would send him over to Herod when he heard that he was a Galilean because, hey, that's Herod's jurisdiction. No doubt Herod was in Jerusalem too because it was Passover. He had to be there. So they appeared at Pilate's court and then sent over quickly to Herod's court. Sent back then. Herod didn't want anything to do with him. Sent him back to Pilate and Pilate finally forced to make a decision. You know what he did. He washed his hands. Put it up to a vote. How was such a crowd assembled at that hour of the morning on a holiday? Careful planning. See, the crowd that appeared before Pilate that morning were all loyalists. No doubt, they were all party loyalists. They they were supporting the high priest. They were against Jesus. Anybody who might have been there to defend him or stand up for him was gone. His disciples had fled. And the crowd famously cried for Barabbas, a a criminal, to be released and for Jesus to be crucified. It's not much time for a capital trial, is it? At the earliest, they could have started proceedings from the time they got from Gethsemane back to Jerusalem and got into Caiaphas' house. It was bound to have been about three in the morning. They had him before the Sanhedrin at daylight. They had him before Pilate and then to Herod and then back to Pilate. It had to have played out in a matter of only a few moments. By 7.30, maybe 8 in the morning, Jesus had been tried And convicted and committed to the Praetorian Roman Guard. The Praetorian Guard was occupying a place that the Romans had built, looking over into the temple ground in Jerusalem. The Praetorian Guard was there. The whole Praetorian Guard assembled. It was there that they took a purple robe and put it on Jesus. That vicious crown of thorns upon his head, a scepter in his hand that they then quickly took out of his hand and began to beat on this and mock him. Uh, The Roman guards knew they had been delivered the message, no doubt this Man was the king of the Jews. This is the Jewish Messiah he claims to be. The one who is going to overthrow Roman rule and establish his kingdom then over the whole earth. That was Rome's place. Take this Jewish king. 
Let's find out what he's really made of. Even then, Pilate perhaps had hoped that the Jewish people would have been satisfied just seeing him beaten the way that he was beaten, scourged that took the skin off of his back, beaten, bloodied, almost unrecognizable, but no. Crucify him. The late scholar John Phillips in a rather speculative mood, and I'll label it strictly as such. But he said this. He said, It is entirely possible that the angelic legions of heaven stood staring over the battlements, waiting for the order to go crashing to the earth to stop this, to stop the torture, stop the beating and the bleeding, Crush the Romans and the Jews who had made it happen and ushering in Armageddon on the spot. They were waiting for the order. But the order never came. The bloody spectacle went on and on and on. As they scourged him, it was amazing that he survived. Parade him through the city, a spectacle on display, almost unrecognizable by the beating, weakened as he was, no doubt from loss of blood. They found a man named Simon from Cyrene. Coming into the city, just completely innocent of what all was happening, he didn't know. He's got his two boys with them, Rufus and Alexander. And the Romans captured him and compelled him to carry Jesus' cross. He's too weak to do it himself. Up to the place they called Golgotha, the place of the skull, of the skull by nine in the morning. It was done. Nine o'clock. What the Bible calls the third hour, that's measuring the time of daylight. Six o'clock when daylight began, third hour, nine o'clock. By nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus had been tried, had appeared before the high priest, appeared before the council, appeared before Pilate, sent to Herod, sent back to Pilate. Scourged and then marched all the way to Golgotha. It's amazing that all that could happen in so short a period of time. Three hours. I'll say it again for the last time tonight. Careful planning. Careful planning. The soldiers then who were assigned the task of crucifying Jesus did it like they had no doubt done it many times before. In Matthew 27, verse 36, sitting down, they watched him there. It was a delighted mob of rulers, no doubt satisfied, very satisfied, very smug with themselves. 
They'd hated Jesus. They'd been trying to kill him for years. They despised him. They delighted in his torture. They delighted in seeing him nailed to a cross crowned with thorns. They railed on him, verse 29 says, wagging their heads, wagging their heads, and laughing. Ah, yeah. You saved yourself. You saved others. You can't save yourself. You destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Yeah. What do you got to say now? Descend from the cross and we'll see it and believe it. You know better than that. Jesus knew better than that. They would have no more believed him if he would have descended from the cross than they believed him when he had done any of the other miracles that he had done. He could have in a way. But in a way they told the absolute truth. He saved others himself. He cannot save. You see, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. When we try to describe some things that God does, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the way it plays out in real time, it's difficult for us. But when we read Revelation 13 and 8 that tells us that Jesus was slain from the foundation of the world that is before the creation was ever made the decision was made then that Jesus would be the one who paid the price in our limited way of describing things then we would say that God knew that from the moment he moved in creation he would one day have to move in redemption and it was at that moment that Jesus made that declaration yep I'll be the one the lamb slain. That's me. Yeah, it was a smug and delighted crowd parading before Jesus and mocking him early that morning, delighting in everything that was done. But somehow I don't think they stayed around much after noon. Because at noon something happened. Mark 15, 33, and when the sixth hour was come, that's high noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, that's three o'clock. Darkness over all the land of Israel for three hours. This was no solar eclipse, the longest possible solar eclipse and it's all depending on the position of the moon the sun and the tilt of the earth and all those other factors the longest possible full solar eclipse lasts about seven minutes this was three hours solar eclipses happen only on the new moon the time when the moon is between the earth and the sun or vice versa Only on the new moon. Never on the full moon. Can't happen. This was no eclipse. Passage does not indicate that it was worldwide. Just only that it was over all the land. The land of Israel. I can only imagine what the people of Israel thought when there was darkness like midnight at high noon. What could they have thought? 
wasn't even done because in the midst of the darkness then, they would hear the cry of Jesus. As he quoted from the Psalms, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Then came another loud cry, recorded by Matthew for us. It is finished. It is finished. And Jesus bowed his head and gave up the ghost. In addition to that darkness, there was a mighty earthquake, the Bible says, that happened at the same time. So mighty was it that it burst open the graves all around Jerusalem. And because it was Passover, of course, there was nothing that anybody could do about it. And so those graves would lie there open and expose the bodies. Whatever was left, open to everyone to see. But that wasn't all. Inside the temple, uh, almost a mile away, inside the temple, there was a place called the Holy of Holies. It was made by a thick veil. Uh, it was almost a foot thick. 40 foot high. Inside behind that veil it was black as midnight because it was made so that no outside light could ever penetrate into the Holy of Holies. And not only did the sun go out and not only was there a mighty earthquake but the veil of the temple on the busiest day of Judaism when the temple was filled with worshipers suddenly Suddenly, the Holy of Holies, that veil was ripped, not cut, ripped in two from top to bottom. Those of you coming on Sunday morning have seen that Jesus has gone again and again and brought judgment on that temple. This was the last act of judgment on the temple. He ripped open the Holy of Holies. And left it exposed so everybody could see whatever was or wasn't in there. Last act of judgment. And there in that darkness, at that moment, three o'clock in the afternoon, the leader of the band of soldiers tasked with crucifying Jesus, the one who was standing closest to him, who saw him give up the ghost said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus was dead, though he would hang there on the cross for several more hours. It would be even before evening before they could take the body down. Six hours. One Friday. Two things then that I want us to consider tonight from an old hymn that we've already sung tonight. And the first one is this. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. When he had received the vinegar, John 19 and 30, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is finished. What was finished? The work of redemption was done. His task as the Lamb of God was completed. 
He had drunk to the dregs the fierceness of the cup that he had prayed might pass from him, but it could not. He drank it. He drank it to the dregs. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. What then is left for us to do? Can we look at the spectacle of that cross tonight and ever come away thinking that some mere religious ritual might serve to qualify us to spend eternity in heaven? Could we think that there's something that we could do, some good work, some performance of some righteous act, something, some religious expression, surely something. There is nothing left for us to do. And it is, in fact, treason against heaven's king. It makes us an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ to suggest that our works must somehow have a part to play in this. Jesus told the truth when he said it is finished. The only alternative would be for him to have lied when he said it was finished. And actually, it was only partially finished. We do not have a work to do, but we do have a response to make. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Believe in that setting has to do with trusting. Do we trust what Jesus did on the cross as sufficient to bring about the forgiveness, the free pardon of my sin, and to qualify me for eternal life with God in heaven. Will we trust Him? Will we trust Him? Jesus paid it all. The second thing then that we go away with tonight, all to Him I owe. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? And you are not your own, for you are bought with the price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Bought with the price. The age Simon Peter would write before he died, you remember, you remember, he said, we were not redeemed by corruptible things. And I wonder as he wrote those words, if his mind didn't span across the decades to go back in his mind to see that spectacle of Jesus on the cross. You were not redeemed with corruptible things. You were not redeemed with silver or gold. You were not redeemed by the vain traditions you received from your fathers by some religious ritual or some religious practices. That is not how you were redeemed. You were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot, without blemish. I hope from this day forward, when it comes to this time of the year, we'll all maybe take a moment to pause about 9 o'clock in the morning. I know, I know, some of you more technical people are going to tell me, well, you know, there's a time difference between here and Jerusalem. I understand all that. Just get over it. Get past it. 
and at 9 o'clock in the morning on Good Friday. Think about those nails going in right here and in his feet. That crown of thorns on his head as he was crucified. At high noon, pause for a moment. Look up. I wonder what I'd do if suddenly it was black as midnight. At three o'clock, you stop and reflect on the words that if it were possible could be echoing to our very ears. It is finished. And say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Well, that's my king. I wonder tonight, do you know him? Do you know him? John would tell us he came into his own, but his own received him not. That's what this whole scene is all about. But as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Have you received Jesus Christ? Have you believed? on this night.